Jason Matthews, my friend, do I have you? I'm here if you can hear me. I can hear you. It's a good thing, Perfect. and you can hear me. Happy Halloween, brother. How you been? Happy Halloween. So the question of the day is, what is your candy of choice? Oh, that's the question of the day? Uh, I'm kind of a basic dude. Just to give me a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, man. I'll be a happy guy. You can't go wrong there. No, no. No, but I will throw a Jolly Rancher back at anybody who gives it to me. Jolly Rancher is the thing that upsets you? That and candy corn and Tootsie Rolls. Those are three things I don't like. Tootsie Rolls? I mean, look, no, I look, if you would have done circus peanuts and candy corn, everybody would have said, yeah, obviously. I, I can. W- there's room for debate on the Jolly Ranch, but Tootsie Rolls, what happened to you? Just I've never liked them. Yeah. It's a free country. It's a free country. <laughs> sure. Well, you it's started the point. Oh, wow. I just, uh, I, I thought you had but better. Candy corn. Candy corn. I think we can come to a consensus on candy corn. Yeah, I just assumed you had better taste, is all I'm saying. Literally. I mean, quite <laughs> literally. Uh, final question about the Halloween thing. Kids dressing up? They heading out? They are, but they're going to be bundled up. Yeah, so this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, last year, last year at this time, it was 73 degrees. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think it's 23 degrees right now. Yeah. And, uh, well, I did hear Schmazzy say, but there's not going to be any wind. So we do have that going for us. <laughs> take the take the small winds that we can get. It That's true. And it is only October 31st. So yeah, it's only going to get worse. Jason yeah, Matthews yeah. is a political uh, science instructor out of Bismarck State College, Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And uh, we used to do a podcast. So what the hell happened this week? And uh, there's been many weeks since you and I have had a chance to visit. There's been a lot to catch up on. And I just was kind of teasing as we're trying to work through our technical difficulties here on some of that. So uh, I guess, where do you begin? I, I think we got to start probably with the Speaker of the House uh, and, you know, the whole turmoil that happened over the last several weeks. To finally get a guy named, I'm curious your reaction to it, just as what it meant for the Republican Party before we get into the presidential election here. Uh, what it meant for the Republican Party was it confirmed what um, I think most of us have known all along, that this is far and away no longer Ronald Reagan's Republican Party. This is very much the party of Donald Trump. Uh, and, you know, the opposition that was leveled against um, Jim Jordan, who was put forward as I think it was the second nominee of the House Republican Conference, was he was far too conservative and and too much of a lightning rod. And so they picked the most bland individual. Um, it was like picking a name out of the out of the phone book, you know, Mike Johnson, um, as as Speaker of the House. And when you take a look at his record, you see this is someone who you know, in terms of his position on a number of issues, which is this is he's a movement conservative, cultural uh, conservative. Uh, he's out of the mainstream um, of American thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, he is going to be that if the Democrats are competent, and there's always the big if there, but he is going to be the focus of targeted ads in those suburban districts across the United States where the House is going to be decided. Uh, but he's very much within the mainstream of the Republican Party. And and that shows where the party is right now. This is a party that since 1988, the end of the Reagan era, has defined itself by a negative agenda, more negative agenda than positive agenda, it defines itself by what it is against. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. He is untested. Uh, he's not familiar uh, to the American people, the Democrats have an opportunity to really define him. 
Um, he is also the uh, first speaker since the 1800s, second half of the 1800s, to have not previously chaired a committee or served in the leadership position. Uh, he has a steep learning curve uh, and he is managing a caucus, a Republican caucus that is very divided and it's very fractured. And he is doing this with a very dominant figure in Donald Trump who, who uh, hovers over everything. So, the, I mean, was this just the last, hey, we're throwing it at the wall, hope it sticks because, hey, we got so much egg on our face right now because you just mentioned that Jim Jordan was one of those that was so pushed back against in that same caucus because he's too far uh, uh, as an extremist and then they still settle for somebody. I'm, or was it just another example of moderate caving? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, quite frankly, you had Tom Emmer uh, and Tom Emmer is, you know, Tom Emmer is, you know, out of Minnesota, he's the House Republican whip. He he easily he is the textbook Rotarian Republican in every respect. But what happened to him was he was um, blasted. He was he was you know had the Scarlet Letter put on him by Matt Gates and others because he voted to certify Joe Biden's election as president on January sixth. So that became the litmus test. And there were many moderates in the Republican Party. Ken Buck from Colorado being among them says, you know, I just can't vote for anybody who didn't certify Biden's election. And then he turns around, you know, sabotages, you know, torpedoes, I should say, Jim Jordan's candidacy. And then he turns around and he votes for, for Mike Johnson. I think that exhaustion uh, certainly set in with a lot of them. Um, and also... Mike Johnson just has a pretty bland personality. I mean, he's he's an unknown quantity, uh, and there and I think that that is the danger for the Republicans. And I think that's something that they may very well a year from now come to regret because of the way in which the Democrats are already going after him. And the Democrats have a playbook to use. The Republicans used it very effectively against Nancy Pelosi for all those years that she was the face of the Democrats uh, Democratic Party in the House. So I was saying they're going to be doing the old uh, Nancy Pelosi treatment for anybody running on that side of the aisle, uh, whether you're running for a city commission or if you're running, in fact, for a partisan office. Jason, you got more time for me? I got we got to talk about Joe Biden's abysmal poll numbers, what that means. Yes. There's a lot of listeners that have been waiting uh, for that conversation to come up saying, Tyler, I told you so. This is a common text I'll get every day here. Uh, I can be talking about... Sports, I can talk about concerts. It doesn't matter. There's people that are eager that always want to keep us saying Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden. Abysmal polling, open borders, economies in shambles. Uh, well, poll numbers, at least, uh, of all the things that they uh, want to throw as far as being a weak spot. I mean, right now it does show his, uh, his unfavorability quite high. Uh, and you've got an incumbent that we're looking at about a, a year to turn it around I mean, I get it. A lot can happen in a year, but what's the landscape view right now of uh, Joe Biden when it comes to just people's not liking the guy, or at least liking the job he's done? I think he's probably in the toughest shape of any incumbent going into re-election since Jimmy Carter. Oh, and we know the outcome uh, of there. And we know what happened there. And there's a disconnect there in, in a lot of respects. I have a theory on it. There are several theories that others others bring bring out. I have a theory on it, but I'll get to that in a moment. The, the issue that Joe Biden faces is the very simple fact that he can't change how old he is. 
and he is 80 years old and he looks 80 and he's going to be 81 next month. And that is a major concern on the part of the voters. And he just can't shake that. The only choice that the Democrats have is that they have to lean in to the age and try to turn that into an advantage when it comes to, um, you know, stability, experience and the like. But I think the problem that you have is when you take a look at the numbers on the economy, the economy is roaring. If you take a look at the numbers, inflation is down. People are spending money. Just a report came out the other day from Wall Street Journal about American spending is, is way back up pre pre COVID. And yet Americans are saying that um, they're struggling, that they're not getting by. The data doesn't, doesn't back that up. The, the consumer practices don't back that up. Uh, and one of the issues that I think that is, is a challenge for Biden is because of his age, he is not able to go out there and get out there into the country, out there on the hustings, talking to the voters. And when he does talk, uh, it, it, it is halting. He has a halting uh, speech pattern. Uh, now, he's never been a, a superb traditional orator like Barack Obama, but he was a very good stump speaker back in the day. Uh, and in in his day, as a as uh, as we shall say, those days are past. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that from a communication standpoint, with so much of the presidency being a communicative office, that's where he really struggles. One thing uh, that that stands out aside from me, yep, okay, the the delivery isn't what it used to be. We, none of us are as good as we once were, right? Uh, but if I don't know that there's anything that can be done when you have data, when you've got you know the the numbers and and figures going the opposite way of what people actually feel, right? And you know that politics is about feeling. It's about, uh, you know, it's capturing on a narrative as well. The narrative's out there that the economy is bad. And, and I don't know that there's anything. I mean, we can run around and talk about GDP. We can talk about unemployment numbers being, you know, far below what anybody projected here. But if it's not resonating, what good does that do as far as a reelection strategy? And perceptions reality, and let's let's just let's just come right out and say it. Forty percent, forty-five percent of the country turn turns on a cable news channel every day that is talking about how bad everything is. You know, it's apocalypse now in major cities across the country. Hordes are crossing the border, coming in and and filling your cities with drugs. I mean, it, it's selling. It's it's that angertainment, and that is something that you know democrats you know any incumbent republican any incumbent president democrat or republican can't can't change i mean that's just the way it is so so it, it's shaping a narrative that's out there where people will come out and say you know i'm really struggling you take a look at their spending patterns it doesn't bear out uh -huh. but you know they think that the rest of the country is going to hell in the handbasket i don't talk about the other side of this equation when i come back after kfgo news about uh the, the, there's polling showing exactly where we expected it to be, unfortunately. And if I'm watching and I'm Doug Burgum saying, what's a guy got to do? So, Jason, you stick around. I got more questions for you. Jason Matthews, my guest, we're talking about terrible numbers for Joe Biden. And the fact is, uh, uh, here, we didn't get to this. Any motivation? I mean, is there any motivation for Democratic voters to turn out? <laughs> Demo uh, the difference between the political parties has always been for the last 50 years, 60 years of American politics 
is that Republicans fall in line, Democrats fall in love. Democrats <laughs> have to feel it. And, Are they? <laughs> and, and they're not. They're not. And the, 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 problem, the problem for the Democrats is um, that Biden, and, and I, I don't have the answer to this, but Biden was always consistently throughout the Trump year seen as the one Democrat who could beat uh, Donald Trump. And you, and, and you and I saw that firsthand. You heard people say, oh, I can't vote for any of these other Democrats. But, you know, I could vote for Joe Biden. Well, why is that? All right. But he did. He was, he was able to defeat Trump. The danger, though, and the warning for the Democrats is that consistently throughout the 2020 cycle, going back to when you started polling in 2018, Joe Biden consistently had about a three to five point lead over Donald Trump. And he ended up uh, winning by less than that. Uh, and right now he is behind Donald Trump, who has 91 criminal charges against him in four in in four different jurisdictions. All right, uh, or three different jurisdictions, and yet he's behind Trump by about three percent uh, on average, two to three percent. And the one thing we know about Trump is Trump always beats the numbers. He always overperforms, and that's what should give Democrats pause. Well, and you got the Chads of the world that hey, look, I don't care about the 91 felonies you know this is a witch hunt and i mean he's effectively turned this into a hey i'm doing this for you and it's stuck for people like the chads of the world out there that will do anything for this guy so i mean the motivation's there they, they want to turn out and vote for him uh, me, yeah. being donald trump where the democrats don't have that so let's talk about the republican side of this because you've got other candidates in this race not as many as you had say uh on sunday you know mike pence dropping out and people are looking at Others that don't have a shot that are still holding on. Someone like Doug Burgum, who New York Times just had an article saying, well, he's got money, but that's about it. Uh, but he's going to hang on because of, uh, you know, the whole uh, Iowa, New Hampshire. He wants to go through there because he's got it made up in his mind that those voters will decide. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's an argument to be made. But the voters, I think, are making it abundantly clear that right now you haven't done enough to get them into your camp. So when it comes to the Republican side, I mean, Trump by far the front runner. I, I mean, there's no disputing that. Motivation's there from his base, which is a large portion. He talked about the fact that the speakership shows that it's his party now, and we already knew that. Uh, I mean, it's it's clear cut that this is likely going to be the rematch of twenty, uh, you know, twenty twenty, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a majority of Americans don't want that rematch. Uh huh. <laughs> and and that that is where Americans. You're going to have some other choices too. I mean, you've got RFK Jr., uh, and I'm on the record saying I think he's a crackpot, but he's running as an independent. Uh, you've got Cornell West, who's going to run as this uh, independent progressive. There's a lot of anger on the far left about Biden's handling of the Israel-Hamas conflict, um, and they're you know, in in the far left is always angry about something uh, like the far right. So they'll so there'll be an option there. And I've always said that the real danger for Joe Biden is that voters just stay home. They just, you know, a country of 330 million plus people and the best that we can do, uh, you know, average voter sentiment here is that we are going to have a rematch between an 81-year-old and a 78-year-old. Uh, you know, that's the best that we can do. I will say this, though, about Donald Trump. You know, there's a lot of focus, and I think justifiably so, about Joe Biden's age. Let's not forget the fact that the next year, Donald Trump's going to be 78, 
And Donald Trump always seemed, you know, this is just from an optical standpoint, always seemed to be the guy that doesn't age. I think that that you're seeing uh, he is making more gaffes when he goes out there on the campaign trail than he has in the past. And I think that the weight of his of his legal problems is starting to weigh on him. Uh, and and, you know, I, I don't think there's enough coverage of that. Nikki Haley's name keeps getting brought up because she's moving up into that second spot, albeit a very distant second spot uh, in the Republican primary. You know, this, this is where you have people that uh, are longtime Republicans that don't want Donald Trump being their candidate again, saying people like Doug Burgum just need to come to reality and get out of this thing. He says no. You have others, you know, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy that had his flash in the pan moment, and he's kind of fallen. Ron DeSantis is kind of falling, not as rapidly as he was earlier. I, I mean, even if they get out of the race, there's no guarantee that, you know, their base goes to a, a, a Nikki Haley either. Mm-mm. No, I mean, Ramaswamy is clearly playing for being getting a cable news show <laughs> on Newsmax or on, on Fox News. You know, Doug Burgum, you know, his his candidacy is proof positive that the rules don't apply to candidates who can self-finance. I mean, the New York Times story today uh, said that he has spent $12.9 million um, so far. That's more than the campaigns of Haley Christie and, and Mike Pence combined. And a third of that was spent on television advertising alone. I mean, this guy this guy has the money. And I've always said that I think that the Bergham strategy is to surprise in Iowa. I was on your show earlier this summer. I said that I think he's playing for a third place finish in Iowa. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the rules just don't apply to him. Mike, Mike Pence was not getting any donations. Tim Scott's donations have dried up. All Doug Bergham has to do is write a check. Yeah, I, I I remember clearly the conversation we had uh, last time because I asked you, hey, how'd that work out for Michael Bloomberg? In fact, I think Eric was kind enough to put that into a, a promo. I don't know if it made the airways. But, yes, I, I recall uh, that being a part of the conversation here, that the guy can sell finance. But at what point does this just look like a vanity trip that he's going out there you know, saying, yep, hey, yeah. look, I got some ads playing in New Hampshire when you're not moving numbers at all is a thing. That's why – I mean, you can stay in, and then even if you come in third or fourth in Iowa, there's still not enough momentum to to stay in this thing. So I don't, I don't understand why, when he can see as clear as day that the the long shot to even get into second place, then you look at that gap between second and where Donald Trump is right now. I mean, it's just not achievable. I just don't see it. There's not a path. Well, let's let's get to let's get to Nikki Haley here for a moment because I think there's something that people need to take into account. And that is that. New Hampshire independents have a big have a big say in New Hampshire and there is no Democratic primary there now there's going to be a primary but it's not a sanctioned primary by the Democrats because they opted to skip New Hampshire make South Carolina the first official delegate producing primary of the season so independents have an opportunity to vote in the New Hampshire primary and Nikki Haley I think and the argument is being made by others, most notably Mike uh, Murphy, a former Republican strategist and others, that she is best positioned to be the alternative to Trump. And there is some validity to that because the world situation, I think, is playing to her strength. She's had two very strong debate performances. She's a former UN ambassador. Um, she's a proven fundraiser. She's a very articulate um, and, and um, compelling uh, presence on a campaign trail. That plays to that. And if something were to happen 
you know, I mean, let you know who had who had a Middle Eastern war on their bingo card for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, God only knows what's going to happen next year. If something were to happen where Trump were not able to um, to become the nominee, she's the likely fallback, and that's the worst case scenario for the Democrats because she could easily you know run the boards and 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 win the presidency against Biden. But in New Hampshire, getting to New Hampshire, expectations are so high for Trump. Uh, they're going to be looking at the margins. And if Nikki Haley can peel off independence and make it a closer than expected outcome, then it's going to be an interesting dynamic moving forward. I still think it's it's very, very, very difficult to beat Donald Trump. But you never say never. 35270. Messages coming in for you, Jason. Give me about 10 more minutes of your time. All right, Jason Matthews, my guest, uh, political science instructor, Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. I'm going to go right to the tax club, Jason. There are a number of uh, messages in here uh, wanting your comments on. Uh, Tyler, mind-blowing that Trump is a contender with the indictments in addition to lying, bullying, lacks all morality, and bankrupt at least seven times. It's unbelievable how anyone can support him. Truly a definition of a cult. They believe him over all the facts. I don't know that there's really a question there for you. It's just more of a comment that uh, I'll share with you. Tyler, the... The Democratic nominee is going to be Newsom. He's already uh, making overseas trips and meeting with leaders. Your response to that, because I've heard that a lot, saying, hey, look, you know, uh, Joe Biden will not be the Democratic nominee. Any, is there any legs to that at all, in your opinion? Democrats are not going to nominate the governor of California. Dean Phillips? Uh, Doug Burgum has a better <laughs> chance of winning the Republican nomination. Okay. Uh, you want to go on? I can stay out of the way before I get to other messages. Nope. Nope. No. Okay. Leave uh, it at that. Uh, Tyler, is Burgum running for a vice president with his spending, knowing full well Trump is going to get the nomination? I can't believe that we are going to have to choose between Biden and Trump. Both suck. Your response? Well, on Burgum, all I can say is I think that that Doug Burgum, uh, he's a very smart man. Uh, I think he's, he's playing a long game here. Um, he's getting his name out there, and I think he's – uh, I don't see him being on the vice presidential slot, um, maybe in a cabinet post. But I think I, I think he's positioning himself to have a say in public national policy moving forward. You think he's going to get like a Department of Egg or anything? Because there's I don't he doesn't strike me as a person no. that would want something like that. He he wants to be the guy in the room. Yeah, no, he's a CEO. He's a CEO. I mean, his name's going to be bandied about for that. But I think I think that that, you know, Doug Burgum has a voice and he's making his voice heard now. And this is a platform for him. And I think that, you know, with his money after the governorship and after this presidential race, he can afford to be a voice in in public policy, whatever that would be in in terms of AI or energy moving forward. Another question coming in. Uh, Tyler, so you're saying legacy media and all Democratic-leaning organizations' goal is to keep Trump in the race because if he was out of the race, Nikki Haley would beat Joe Biden in a race. I don't think that I heard anything about legacy media, but uh, uh, here's the biggest fear Democrats have is not losing to a Republican. It's losing to Donald Trump is, is the impression I get from those that I always hear because, I mean, we still have our connections out in the Beltway so to speak, not in media, but uh, those backroom chats that happen between Democrats and Republicans that still get along, that that's the biggest fear. 
It's not losing to like a Nikki Haley. It's losing to just Donald Trump, right? No, I've heard, I've heard Democrats themselves say, you know, I don't like Nikki Haley, but I wouldn't lose any sleep if she's president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, more coming in. Tyler, I wish Gretchen Whitmer would run. I'd like to speak to that. Oh, you're going to actually take a swing at this one. Proud of you. <laughs> I'm going to take a swing at this one because this is the, this is an issue here. You'll notice that when you talk about Biden's successors, Kamala Harris is not in the discussion. And I think that the, that Harris is, who has worse approval numbers than President Biden, is a liability for him because there is not public confidence in her ability to step in as president. And if something were to happen where Biden you know, says, I'm not going to run again, next year and and i think that window is close to being shut and sealed for the season um there there would be a free-for-all in the democratic race and remember biden said in 2020 that he wanted to be a bridge to a younger generation so the implication there was or it was implied that he would be uh, a one-term president and when you take a look at the democratic bench this is the most impressive bench the democrats have had for presidential prospects in my lifetime. I think it rivals what the Republicans had in 1980, which was one of the most impressive uh, flock of candidates that any party put forward. You've got Pritzker in, in Illinois, you have Whitmer, you have Shapiro, you have Moore, you have Klobuchar, the, the list goes on uh, of potential candidates. And there's just this natural assumption, well, Biden will run and then he'll, you know, he'll win or he'll lose, and then they'll all run again in 2028. A lot will happen between now and 2028. And and that that bench um, is may not very well be there in, in 2028. So I think that's also part of the frustration for a lot of Democrats. Lots to digest. How about we do this a little bit more frequent? Stop being so dang busy all the time and, and make some time for your friends here on KFGO because I got more messages coming in. I just don't have enough time. And I know you got the, to get running here. What's the final parting words from you this time? I think that the next um, two months are going to be critical in shaping uh, the 2024 campaign because there's the New York civil trial, which Trump will probably lose. Um, there's a real possibility in the federal January 6th case of the gag order of him continuing to violate that. And he may very well be put into jail for violating that. And then I think that's what's keeping up the national security establishment at night is the very real prospect of a regional war in the Middle East with Iran um, getting even more involved in this. And it cannot not suck the United States in. Uh, so the next two months, I think, are perilous not only in terms of American democracy and and our reaction to the very real prospect of a for, of a former president on trial or being put into jail for violating a gag order, but um, the the weight of the office on the incumbent president and the world situation. Well, as leave on such uplifting comments, don't we? It is Halloween. I guess we need to get a little spookiness in here before we get everybody. Oh. I've said it before. I'll say it again. These segments need to be sponsored by an antidepressant. <laughs> Next time I'll have you in to talk about Kiss and the Golden Girls, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about music and we'll talk about old 80s sitcoms. Jason, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Okay. I appreciate it. You take care, all right? Thanks, buddy. Yeah, Jason Matthews, uh, a friend of the show here and uh, a, a political science instructor, OSHA Lifelong Learning Institute, and all of the above.